Hello everyone, I'm your host, Rachel Coombs-Renwick, and welcome to Discussions on Concussions podcast. We are back with part two of our three-part series for International Women's Day, where we have gathered a panel of women who suffer from either chronic migraine, chronic pain, or, you know, the spectrum of concussions and brain injuries, where we discuss what it's like to be a woman with a fragile noggin. So now it's time to introduce ourselves again. Hi everyone, my name is Morgan. I'm a neuroscience researcher and migraine advocate, and I'm at Life with Migraine on Instagram. Hi everyone, I am Casey Ferguson. I'm the migraine nutritionist on Instagram, and I am a registered dietitian with migraine. Hello everyone, I'm Erica Renee. I am a TBI coach consultant, and my Instagram handle is Erica R Walker A78. Hi, I'm Beth. I'm a social worker and migraine advocate. Hi, I'm Shruti. I'm chronically me on Instagram and a migraine advocate. Next topic is the workplace. Having a fragile noggin in the workplace. Uh, I I mentioned previously, I, I know I cut out that my rock bottom was when I was let go of my job. And for me, that was really difficult because I thought I was just going to climb the corporate ladder. I was in digital marketing, which of course, that's a lot of screen time. (laughs) And when I felt like I was saying, these are my symptoms, this is what I'm dealing with. I felt like it was just putting more of a target on my back. You know, when one person just says once, oh, I have a migraine. Oh, of course. Don't send her anything. Like, that's fine. But when it's the person that constantly says, oh, this is what I'm struggling with, sometimes for my own experience, it kind of turned into this, oh, here's Rachel again. And that is when I was taking too much and I found working way past my capacity and putting myself in situations where I would get home with a excruciating migraine, excruciating pain, and I wasn't able to do anything once I was home, just sleep. And, you know, then my weekends turned into just my body recovering from the work that I put in. And I'm so glad now that even though I had to rock bottom, which we all advise, please do not get to that rock bottom. I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, this industry is not best for me. I learned that the hard way. I had a lot of reflecting because I find sometimes we're, we're taught like our self-worth goes with what we do for a living. Has anyone else felt like their self-worth has been tied to what you do? I've always felt so terrified of being undervalued or thought of the girl who's just you know, in pain or sick all the time, that I ended up pushing myself harder, even on the high pain days. I pushed myself regardless of how I was feeling until I boned out and I would end up quitting. So I've quit every seven months and this has been a pattern for seven years because the employers I had would not even accommodate anything, you know, at work. If I said I'm sitting under a desk which has got such a bright light on top of me and I just need to move away or turn off this light, they'd say no. I'd say the chair is giving me neck pain. It was, it, was, it was ergonomics, right? No. So I've quit a lot of places until I got to this company where they had a nap room for people who had migraine. And 
80% of my colleagues had migraine. So you have migraine, you just go, you have an attack, go take a nap. That, that's how it was. And we had flexible timings. I worked from home at least for 90% of 2018 and 2019, which was amazing for me. So I guess it, it, just, it just comes to a point where you are validated or you find that one experience um, that makes you feel that it's okay to be sick and still pursue your dreams or pursue your career or like work at a place. If you're at a place that doesn't understand you, it just means that it's not meant for you. You will find where you fit in, right? I think one thing that's really hard about this topic of work and finding accommodations is that it's hard to know if they're going to be accommodating upfront. It's really hard until you're actually in it and you need things and you're asking for them because no one's going into a job interview being like, I have this chronic debilitating neurobiological disease that sometimes renders me totally incapacitated for weeks at a time. But outside of that, I'm very productive, right? That's not how you conduct an interview. You're selling yourself to the best of your ability. And then sometimes I feel like I'm pulling a fast one on the back end where I'm like, hey, by the way, I have this chronic illness, even though that's not true. And that's how it you're totally allowed to do that and it's a thousand percent valid and okay, but it's really hard to know upfront. So I don't know, maybe try to get some intel from employees that are currently working there. Be indirect. Um, you don't have to ask about, oh, do you have a chronic illness and how does your company support you? Ask, oh, hey, like how, how does sick leave work? You know, how flexible are they with, you know, you have to, if you have to move deadlines, like I just want a place where I really have a good work-life balance and I was curious if you'd be willing to talk to me about it. People are usually really willing to talk about those kinds of things. So that's kind of one of my suggestions of try to get kind of some background intel of a job that you're looking at and find out, are the employees happy? Are they comfortable with asking for days off when they really need them? If there's a family emergency, how is it handled? Those are all okay to ask because it comes down to your quality of life working for them. I love that, Morgan. I, I love that you just gave us like the snippet, like the language, the script of, of how to actually do that, because you're right. Like, yes, we're allowed to be authentic in interviews. We're allowed to like self-identify with, with our abilities and illnesses, but we also almost can't, you know, like it's that double-edged sword. And I remember a boss that I had a few years ago, even before my master's, before I really knew what I was dealing with, And he sort of felt like a bit of a fatherly instinct, you know, towards me, which was fine and said, like, just be careful, Beth, just be careful how much you share about your experience, just be careful about how much you talk about your disability in the workplace. And he was well-meaning, like he thought that he was protecting me by giving me that advice. And it just reminded me, that's where the problem lies right? That you're so worried about how my next employer is going to perceive me, how my next boss is going to accommodate me or, or think of my abilities, right? You know that my reality is so real that you want to try and protect me from what you know happens in a workplace when you have chronic illness. And I was like, that's exactly what the problem is. And I'm not going to do it right? That there's a lot of privilege there. Don't get me wrong. I ended up starting my own company because I was sick of going through the loopholes and was like, I'm going to just work for myself because that's where I can best accommodate my needs. But it's sort of like you meant, well, you thought you were setting me up for success by giving me that advice. And that told me everything I needed to know. Casey, I remember we, uh, we talked about this, um, 2020 feels like forever ago where, 
you really inspired me too because we we talked a little bit about work and how you said you know you you start that off of just saying hey this is what with this is what I deal with and I remember thinking wow I rem- if if I was a little bit more empowered in myself and a little bit more transparent with some you know work situations maybe some things would have ended up differently which you know, I was then taking that in into the future of, okay, if I were to apply for a new job, how would I navigate that? Like with what Morgan was saying about, you know, asking those that actually work there and asking the right questions, getting that intel. I also love that, Shruti, that there's a nap room. Oh my goodness. Like you... You went through the ringer of like, as you said, going to different jobs, finding the right fit. Like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) That was amazing. I just think we should, at least people like us, we should wait for the right opportunity that gives us the accommodations that we need, that is comfortable, not at all, you know, out of our comfort zone. And if we find that, then that's setting us up for success, right? we grow, we thrive in that particular environment. We wouldn't have to quit. We wouldn't be worried about our abilities or about growing, about gaps in career. So it's okay. My advice would be it's okay to wait it out. It's okay to be upfront with your employees or at least understand what kind of work culture they have and how they treat their employees, whether that fits you. Um, And take your time to find that right place so that you don't have to quit later. You don't have to have those gaps. You don't have to experience the ups and downs later. And I think there's there's two buckets here, right? There's finding a workplace that fits your ideal work environment, right? That is maybe plan A. And then plan B is figuring out how to make the work environment that you currently have work for you to the best of your ability. Obviously, being able to quit and transition jobs repeatedly is a level of privilege. Not everybody is going to be able to do that, especially right now it's a little crazy. We're kind of, you know, the tail end of COVID and the workplace environment is is changing. On one hand, it's good because I think remote work is becoming more and more common and more accepted. And so maybe if you're looking at what kind of accommodations to ask for, now is a great time to have a conversation about what percentage of time can I work remote? Like here are the stats of how productive I've been at home. Like here is how it's going to help me. Here's how we can work together. And like, maybe we can come to an agreement. And I think under finding the accommodations at your current workplace, there's also a few different approaches and would love to hear what everybody else thinks. But there's the direct of going to your boss, talking to your boss about it. Maybe once you've developed a relationship, that gets a little bit easier. I think it's really hard as a new employee. And then there's going to HR. If you're at a company that has an HR department, you can also either put out feelers, find someone who you trust in HR to have just a conversation about what that would look like. Or there's a third option of making your actual physical workspace as, you know, as work for you as best as possible. Maybe it's bringing an ally lamp. Maybe it's wearing your sunglasses. Maybe it's having a ball cap on to protect yourself from lights. Like I did all kinds of crazy things when I was working in lab because they couldn't change the lab environment I was working in. I was running these experiments and I had to figure out how in that environment without affecting like the work and the research, could I make it serve me best? So that those are kind of a few topics under, you know, accommodations and making your workplace work for you that I think are important. I would also be interested to hear more about accommodations that those of you here have asked for, because I honestly haven't utilized that. And I have now started my own company as well. Um, 
I think that a lot of people with migraine have kind of <laughs> found that to be an interesting path. Um, however, like in my workplace, I did talk to a lot of my bosses and mentors about my migraine upfront first day when I was training as a to become to become a dietitian. I was kind of in a privileged place as well, where like I already had this program laid out, like I just needed to have the mentor there to supervise me. And so each day I would like the first day of each rotation of my program, I would talk to the other dietitian and just let her know or him, I guess it was all her though, uh, let her know like I have this diagnosis. It, some days I'm going to show up and be a little bit less myself, but like here's what you can expect. And they all received it really well, but I know that not everyone's going to have that privilege to be able to talk to their um, bosses or mentors. So I would be curious to hear how other people do navigate that because before I hit that point where I was like, I need to just disclose this to the people I'm working with, I would be so terrified of the attacks I would experience when I was working. I actually have some vivid memories of back when I was working in retail as a teenager where I would be bawling my eyes out if I had to call and ask to have the day off because I felt so much pressure. Um, for me, um, most employees are, like, like Morgan said, are pretty understanding when it comes to accommodation and things like that. And speaking for myself, um, like I said, I'm in a wheelchair. And so I know for me, when I was in college, I um, I worked in my college store bookstore. And the only job I could do was be a greeter. And I'm pretty good at greeting people. So I wrote a nice welcoming smile. So that was heard, that was heard from you, whatever. So... But it just seems that the things like, you know, I'll be happy, more than happy to do that. However, I'll need accommodations and um, you can list those accommodations whatever they may be. And so I remember when I was in, when I was in school, we had a, um, a D, what's called DAS office, Disability Access Services, and I needed more text time sometimes to think more because sometimes in some classes, more than others, I needed, it was, I needed more thinking capacity so, and I can be in class with other people because they make noises and all kind of stuff. So I need their particular attention span time to myself to be in the quiet room. Because if I play home one noise, I may get distracted all I'm thinking about. So just having those accommodations, just asking, hey, I, I, I would happy to do that. However, I do need X, Y, and Z in order to complete it successfully to my capacity, to my visibility. So just asking what you, what you need and just listening. I know, knowing in advance what you need before you um, bring it to their attention is, um, I believe, a great idea too as well. I think it's a great point. I don't know about other people, but I didn't know always what I needed. Like at the beginning, I didn't know what accommodations would have been helpful, you know? Um, and I think it goes back to that, like validating of your own experience piece. Like at some points I just knew I was in pain and I knew it was not functional, but having the capacity or spoons to think about like what I needed or what would be helpful for me. Um, I know it, it took me like a little while to figure out like what are those things that will set me up for success and then being able to communicate them. Um, I know that was like a growing edge that, that I really had to work on for myself. I don't know if others can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the one key thing of like setting yourself up for success. I just talked to my therapist about it the other week about, you know, if I were to pursue more education or pursue, you know, whatever different type of job, if I were to do that, my therapist was like, 
we, we don't want you to fail. We don't want to throw you into a situation where you, you don't know, you know, what you need, what, what the situation will be like. We want to set you up for success because she also knew like mentally that takes a toll on us when we know we're capable of things. Like we have the knowledge, we have the ability. It might be something that you went to school for, or you've been in the workforce for years and you know, you can get that task, that job done, but what are you going to do to make sure that you don't feel completely just fried at the end of it, where you can set yourself up for success to get whatever job or task done that you, that you want to accomplish. I think that also comes back to choosing a career that's migraine friendly, right? And this goes to when you're in college or even in school, you it helps like if you're diagnosed with migraine early on because that, that kind of helps you figure out, okay, what do I do with my life now? Because I can't work like everybody else. I wanted to be a molecular biologist, but I knew at that point that I couldn't stand the smells of the lab. Mm. And that's why I, I switched. But I wish I had that guidance early on that it's okay to choose a career that, that is accommodating, right? Forget yeah. workplace. You need to, it needs to be a career that you can handle and that you can sustain over a period of time. And then comes the workplace accommodations. So that yeah. is where we'll have to invest a little more time to figure out what works best for us. Oh, exactly. Like now I know, okay, digital marketing, marketing in general, I can't do. And so it's interesting. One thing that I would really suggest to people, if there's the funds for it, because that's the only thing is occupational therapists. Having my occupational therapist, she has helped guide, okay, what what tools do I need? There, there are things that I never thought I would need that it's like, even for bending for me can be a trigger for my head. I have a reacher that literally on the label, it has an elderly couple and it says assisted living. Things that you would not ever think of that help your head in any sense. And I even went through a full assessment of, okay, this is her knowledge, this is her background, but these are her symptoms and this is what causes it. So how, what place or industry or job, what would be best accommodating for her? And it's, it's a day long assessment, you know, you're fried at the end, but I would suggest to anyone to look up that resource, see if that's something you could do because that's now I never thought, right now I'm pursuing pet photography. I never thought I would say that. And it's a complete turnaround. It's part-time. We're seeing if it works. We're writing down the things of, okay, you know, it still involves screen time for editing photos, or this is what I have to do during a shoot, the noises if a dog barks. And we're still in that process of navigating, is this the best situation for my head? How long lasting could this be? But going through different assessments and finding resources like occupational therapists, you know, vocational assessments, that's what it's called. That can be really helpful if you're thinking you want to change your career to best suit your head, whether it's, you know, your career completely or just the company you work for. 
Does anyone have any last thoughts or pieces of advice for where I feel like it's it's difficult because we're all in different places of you either work for yourself or you found an accommodating place. I know uh, that is one thing that um, I have found that once I started to be my own boss and just set my time of like, okay, I am flaring up with so many symptoms. I'm only going to do like one session when I can handle it. Scheduling your own time, the flexibility. It's really nice to be able to accommodate yourself, <laughs> you know, have that own talk with yourself of like, okay, this is what I need. If, I, if I'm going to have, for instance, <laughs> a shoot one day with like a, a photo session, I know that I need a few days after to recover. Or even one thing that I learned is like turnaround time. Before when I when I worked and it was hustle, 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 I never prioritized myself. I was kind of just getting lost in the in the mess. And now I go, okay, two to three weeks. Is this reasonable? How can I pace myself to like get this task completed? The one thing that came to mind just as you were saying that, Rachel, is my mother-in-law used to say, like, work smarter, not harder. And I feel like that's something that I've really, like, taken on to be like, okay, let's put the internalized ableism aside. Let's put the internalized stigma aside. How do we just be most efficient? You know, like, mornings aren't my jam. We're not going to try and force it then. You know, I need a nap every afternoon. We're just going to do the dang thing then, you know? Um, And I think that... uh, Again, everyone has to do what what works for them and what accommodations like they need. But I'm like, let's work smarter, not harder here. You know, let's save our points. Let's be most efficient, whatever you want to call it, um, to try and like keep that even keel and less of the highs and the lows, if I can kind of round some of them off. Definitely expectations, I would say, is a big one for me. Um, I can be a perfectionist sometimes. Like, if it's not done this way, it'll get on my nerves. And I'm like, you could have did, did better. Like if I'm, and if I think about it, if I, I go to sleep or whatever, and I'm not pleased with it, you could have, you could have did that better. You could have did that. If I turn in already, like something like an assignment or any kind of project, I could have did better on that. It took a long time. I'm constantly, or used to custom my mind, like going over again, like, oh, if he could did it so much better, beat myself up. But again, it's where grace comes in. So I've learned to calm down, I'm a perfectionist, and give myself the space to make. If they make errors, make mistakes, and say, "Eric, it's okay." People, um, and what I find is that people it react better to your mistakes that you make sometimes. Like I didn't even do to do that, but yeah, they love it. So it's the double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> I find we trap our trap ourselves in our heads way too much. We just need to realize that we work to live and don't live to work, and that kind of changes everything. And when it comes to us, people with chronic illnesses, migraine especially, it's about finding, I really believe in finding your ikigai, right? Finding your sweet spot, something you're good at, something the world needs, something that you're paid for, and something that kind of accommodates migraine. So that that would be your sweet spot. And that is something that we should all go after, no matter how long it takes. The balance, I love that, the balance. You said, um, can you say it again one more time? Mark it down. You said... Ikigai, so the balance is something that you love doing, something that the world needs, something you're paid for, and something that accommodates your illness. The first three are what's written in the book. I just add another circle to it for myself. I love that. I feel like that's the perfect way to wrap up this topic. 
So if you're out there and you want to return back to work after your latest brain injury or you're currently struggling with your job because of migraine, it might be best for you to reevaluate what kind of job or industry you're in, what is best for your fragile noggin, and what accommodations, resources, tools do you have to make sure that each day you're setting yourself up for success. That concludes part two of our three-part series. Thank you again to our amazing panelists, Beth, Morgan, Shruti, Erica, Casey. Thank you all for joining me. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And don't forget to come back for part three. Remember to rest that head of yours, everyone.